You know, today's message, uh, you know, today actually, I really hope today I, I kind of shake the status quo a little bit. It's been shaken a little bit in my life, and I hope actually to give you more questions than answers today, and actually for us as a church for that to happen. You know, every week I have a, a paper to write, you know, and so just because I'm out of school doesn't mean I don't have a paper to write. Every week I write a paper for you guys, right? And it's in the form of a sermon. And as I come to this blank slate, and I, there's a couple of things that I, that I have to decide. Um, of course, I have to decide on passage. Uh, you know, where's God leading me as, as a shepherd uh, to take our congregation? And I don't try to preach week by week, right, like shotgun approach. I try to be a little bit more methodical in what I do through series. But since we've come into the facility, I've been, uh, you know, more uh, focused on what we need in terms of this season of our church life. And so I, I have to decide on a passage. And then from there, I read and reread and read again. And then hopefully allow the passage to dictate its structure to me and how I want to preach it. And then once I do that, one of the last things that I do is create a title for the, the sermon. And I got to tell you, this week was harder than most weeks to create a title. I started out with what I kind of alluded to last week when I at least had the passage or the idea of the message in mind. And I started out with the sermon title, Growing Into a Mini Church paradoxical, right? Like growing mini, like it should, like growing into a large or mega church is kind of like what it's reasonably should do, but growing into mini seems paradoxical. So that's the title that I started out with, and it was a birth from a lot of reflections uh, as we've come into the new facility here and reflecting on a lot of the ideas and prayers that I wrote uh, pre-launch of our church five years ago. And so that's where I, I started. And I just kind of looked at the title and I said, like, ah, something's not right. And, you know, I just felt like it was too clean, <laughs> if, if that makes any sense, right? And so then, like, I knew the passage that I wanted to speak on. It would be Luke chapter 15, and particularly the first parable of the lost sheep. And if you know Luke 15, it has three parables about a sheep, a coin, and a son. Right? And all three of them are lost, and it talks about the joy in the recovery of that which is lost. And the first one is, I knew the, the, the parable that I wanted to speak on today, and so I changed from growing into a mini-church, and I just said lost. Right? Lost. And I had this subtitle there, and then I looked at that, and I said, well, that's, you know, that was from themes of like TV shows, I guess, right? And, uh, but I said to myself, uh, like something just didn't hit me there. And so, like the more and more I read Luke 15 in this parable, and this contrast, this dilemma that this shepherd is facing. He has a hundred sheep, 99 are safe, one he does not know where it is, it is lost. And the dilemma, do I stay with the 99 or do I go out and I try to find that lost one? That was the, the context or the dilemma of this parable. And the more and more I let that sit with me, it was like, I, I just wanted to like get like bold letters and say, get out, right? And, uh, and so I kind of landed there, like get out, right? The imagery of like, we need to leave this space. We need to, to leave the 99 and go after. 
after the one. And so I landed at that title, Get Out. And it was about mobilizing the church for ministry outside of the walls of its facility. Like, it seems paradoxical. You spend money to build a facility, but then you're trying to encourage people to spend time outside of it, right? And it's like, uh, yeah, right? And so that was kind of where I landed by the end of the week. And then I was wrestling more and more with this. You know, I, I, I wasn't committed to print out the, the bulletin yet and the sermon insert because I still wasn't committed on the title yet. And I knew if I printed it out, I would just like not reprint it. And so I like I waited. And so I didn't print this out until like this morning. And um, I decided that even this was too sanitary and excuse me for the language but I felt like I needed to insert that. Now, I've heard the phrase, get the hell out and get the heaven in. And it's a play off of that a little bit. And so I don't mean to be completely like profane <laughs> in, in this title. I mean it to provoke you. And it's provoking me because this is actually the internal conversation that God was having with me this week and it came out in this title. Get the hell out. Because the lost aren't coming in. And like that, that just sat with me. And I felt as though that that was the best way to communicate the spirit of what God was provoking. And so if that offends you, I'm half sorry. <laughs> I'm apologetic but not really that sorry. Because I feel as though if it does offend you, you need to be offended. Like, and so today, I just hope to offend you a little bit more. <laughs> and, uh, but more than anything else, I, I, you know, I just want to open the dialogue and begin to look out at the journey of our church. You know, we're at juncture five years. And to look out and to be able to see some cobblestone maybe, paved way, dirt roads, whatever the pathway imagery that you see, and begin to see some markers, begin to see uh, some identifying pieces that are driving us forward, right? And that's what I want to lay out for us today. And not to answer all the questions, but again, to just ask them and to, to bring us along in this dialogue. Luke 15, please flip there. We're going to read the first seven verses of the chapter. It's the parable of the lost sheep. In the Gospels, Jesus had a lot of conversation with the religious establishment. The religious establishment in Jesus' day, uh, they can be kind of like grouped into a couple of titles. You can maybe call them Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes. And a lot of Jesus' conversations were with those groups of people, right? And this was also one of them. And a lot of what Jesus said to them was in response. It was almost a rebuttal to the accusations that he received. And so when Jesus was interacting with the religious status quo, he was ruffling a lot of feathers. And this parable does exactly that. It says this, 
Now all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Okay, that's just context. That's just telling you what is happening around Jesus in the moment. Okay, so people who don't normally gather around religious leaders were gathering around this one, Jesus, this day, as was many other days. Okay, and both the Pharisees and the scribes, they began to grumble, and this is what they said, this man. And you can almost like see the, the lifted nose, the, the snickering, right? You can see the straightened back and you can just see the condescending nature of this. This man receives sinners and he eats with them. Like it was disgust. It's like, how could you? Like people call you rabbi. You don't deserve that title. Do you see who's around you? Like who do you want to hang out with? Not us. Why them? And there was judgment here in this statement. Right? It's not sarcasm. It's just pure judgment. Condescending judgment is what it is. And then Jesus speaks up, right? And he doesn't like just completely annihilate them this time. He tells them a story. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. This should have rattled his listeners. Like, this is not common sense, right? It was an indictment. It's like, you're playing it safe. You're doing what everybody else does. Like, 99 versus 1, okay, like, this is where more value is. This is where you spend time, allocate resources. This is who you teach. And he was telling them, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> Like, he was telling them, like, the focus of your energy, who you're trying to teach and reach right now, the target is wrong, is what he's telling them. This past week, I uh, was driving to church. It was just the other day. I think it was, no, it was actually, no, it was yesterday. It was Saturday morning. I was driving to church and um, I got stopped at a light. And as soon as I stopped, you know, you stop at a light, you just kind of look around. And I just looked around and I looked out the passenger side window and I was just on the corner. I think it was not in orange. And there was some building, I think it was the AT&T building right there. And there was uh, some stairs and there were two, what appeared to be homeless people there, just kind of like laying on the stairs and I can see them looking down with some sort of object in their hand, scratching, <laughs> right? They're playing scratchers. 
And I, the, the first reaction was pure judgment. I, I'll, I'll be honest. That was my first reaction. I mean, the scratchers nowadays, they're not cheap. They're like five bucks, right? And um, the first immediate reaction was judgment. Like, is that what you're spending your money on? Like, do you expect to get off of the streets that way? Is that the best use of the last five hours of standing on a corner? Like, it was just judgment. Like, I was throwing knives at them, like, just mentally. That's what I was doing. I was cutting them down. And then I just felt, wait a minute. And it gave way for my second reaction. And it was empathy. I felt like these folks needed a trustworthy voice in their lives. Someone to actually tell them the way to get off the streets is not by jumping out, but by climbing. That that $5 could have been better spent choosing a healthier option for food to take that one step closer to being that much stronger. To buying maybe a new shirt, going to Goodwill, getting new attire, but a trustworthy voice. And it was more empathy. And it gave way. And, and as I began to just, and this happened in a, I'm telling you, it happened in five seconds, right? Because the light turned green, right? And so judgment gave way to empathy. And I began to empathize. And I began to say, what do these folks need now? And I began to see a journey from them, for, for them to get where they are right now, thinking that this is the best way off of the streets. This is the easiest way. This is the only way that I will get off of the streets if I hit it and get lucky. But I wanted to get out of my car and tell them luck will not get you off of the streets. But I said to myself, if I got out of my car now, would they trust me? And I began to think that they needed someone, a voice that they could trust, someone they would open up to when they spoke harsh words to them, provoking them to spend their time and money a different way. And then I came to church, right? And I took care of some stuff. But this was a part of a dialogue that I was having all week with God. And, you know, this last week uh, also, it was probably Tuesday or so, I came to church uh, in the morning, and I was just spending some time in prayer. This was before uh, the, the kids went to school, and uh, uh, just like, I was just in my prayer room and praying, and I was prompted, like, by God, just, and literally, I felt Him telling me, get out. Like, just get out, right? And, like, I just grabbed my guitar, and I grabbed this little prayer book, little prayer journal that uh, we started back at Irvine. It, and I labeled it City Chapel Prayer Chain. And we, I used this to log a few prayers that we had back when we had some Friday night gatherings in Irvine. And I just reassumed this prayer journal in my own prayer time. And on behalf of standing in the gap for City Chapel, I just began to write some prayers and, and record stuff in this little booklet. And so I took my guitar and this little tiny black book with a pen, and I just went across the street to Twyla Reed Park. I found a tree that was slightly propped up and perched on a hill that had some nice shade, and I just sat down there, and I just began to play the guitar and pray. 
That's, and then I just literally took my prayer time from the room and I took it to the park. That's all that I, <laughs> that I did, right? And, you know, like doing that, I was thinking, you know, I, I wonder if I'll ever have a conversation with anybody today. This morning was like 7 o'clock-ish, 7.15-ish. And uh, I was just kind of thinking what would happen. But I just kept on just playing a, a good 30 minutes, right, and just kind of praying there. And I was looking around, and there were plenty of people around me. And, and then, if you don't know, across the street, it's a large park. It's got a great children's play area, and it's just a, a broad open area. But there's also a homeless population that stays there, right? And I remember trying to have a picnic over there when we first got into this facility. Remember that first Sunday that we were just trying to have a picnic? I wanted to have it over there, and so I was scouting that park, and I realized that one of the bathrooms, that main bathroom on the front side, is locked. And so I called the city. I said, you know, I, I want to have a picnic here. Do you guys open this bathroom? And the person on the other end of the line said, no, it just remains locked 24-7, basically. And I asked, why? And she wouldn't give me an answer. I connected the dots. I know exactly why they don't open those restrooms during the day or ever. It's because that they will be used by the population that is there. And as I was sitting under this tree, and I, you know, I'm, my eyes are open. I, I walked the park before, and I, you know, I've seen homeless folks sleep there. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just playing and praying and, you know, people are walking by. Some people are just laying under trees and, you know, and, and I see everything that's going on. There's a person prepping for a party in that little uh, benched area and just other stuff are going on. Children are in the playground and I'm just, I'm just here just playing and praying because I just feel like that was the, the call of obedience that I needed to have that particular morning. And this message of... Get the hell out. Sorry. Every time I say that, it just makes me smile a little bit, actually. Right? But I made sure to put it in like a form of parentheses to let you know that it's, I, I didn't really mean like the profanity of it. Right? Uh, but this message, springboarding from Luke 15, the parable of the lost sheep, has so much also to do with my experience that morning this past week. And so, you know, I'll share a couple of things and hopefully it'll just kind of like just bring some questions up for our church and for you as an individual. And hopefully as we piece together this conversation uh, and, and just sit around some tables and, and talk through stuff over the, uh, the next you know, weeks or months uh, for the life of our church that maybe we'll begin to see the application of ministry on a different platform, like looking a different way. And I was talking with, uh, with David before the service as we were just talking about welcoming a little bit. And like, I feel cautiously excited if that makes any sense as well, right? Like, like I, I don't know, but like, I feel excited about that. And there's no like guilt or remorse or, or anything, but it's just like cautious excitement for what could be or what might be. And that, that's, uh, that's all I kind of want to bring uh, to us today. And so the first main idea is this that there are greater opportunities for ministry outside of the walls of the church. That's the first thing that I, that I felt I, I wanted to say today. From this passage and also from my experience this past week, 
This is my first point. Greater ministry opportunities are available outside of the walls of 3111 West Orange Avenue. That's my first point, right? And it's kind of awkward because what I'm trying to say is if we let's do ministry outside of here, right? And it's trying to like, okay, let's spend money and renovate this place, but let's like focus our ministry efforts outside of this place. And it seems as though like something's off there, but that's exactly what I want to say. Let's use this space for fellowship and, and, and discipleship and all of that stuff amongst believers. But when we think about ministry opportunities that are the foundation of the ministry call of a Christian, which is the Great Commission... Let's think of ministry outside of our walls. Because if I were to continue praying Tuesday morning in that prayer room, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I would not interface or talk to anybody that I could minister to. I could be ministered to by the Holy Spirit, but I could not minister to anybody in that prayer room. I could do it in her with intercession, that's a spiritual form of ministry, of course. But you get what I'm talking about. I'm not going to talk to, a, to an, a, an unbeliever in that prayer room. I, I, I don't have an opportunity to have a spontaneous conversation with someone who could be curious in this moment in season about questions about Jesus. But simply moving my physical presence outside of that prayer room and going to the park across the street, I had greater chances. I, I, I saw people. I had an opportunity to speak to individuals, though I did not take it. I had an opportunity to. And so I'm just saying that there are greater opportunities for ministry outside of the walls of the church. Right? And I wrote this for you on the inside leaf of your bulletin. If we're only preaching the gospel in our church facilities, something is inherently flawed in our ministry approach because the lost are hesitant to come into a church. Like, if this is the only space that I as a person, as a pastor, child of God, am preaching the gospel, something is inherently flawed in my ministry approach. Like, this was what God was saying to me, right? And I began to think about it. I've been in ministry now for 22 years. At the age of 41, I started at 19. And in the last 22 years, if I were to give you the sum total of every single set of ears, week in and week out, that have heard me say something about the Bible or the gospel, and I were to able to calculate that and, and just say whatever sum that is over the course of 22 years, I would probably say to you it's similar to the parable. 99% were probably Christian safe, open pasture, and I maybe spoke to 1% of those people who were lost. Right? And, and so I'm, I'm reading this, and I'm not like, like indicting myself, like, oh man, I'm stupid, I'm a dumb pastor, I had it all wrong. No, it was just illumination. It was coming to the passage and just saying, like, wait, like it was what, the greatest reminder. Right? And it was just God telling me, you know, like, you, you see what happened? <laughs> but I want you to know that I'm actually looking at that one person. That lost one over there. That's where my focus is right now. And what would bring the biggest smile to my face is you <laughs> speaking to that one. 
right? And it just offered a fresh perspective. And that actually opened up a lot of questions for me, ministerially, right? And, you know, like, I, I want to talk to the group here, like in different formats and in different spaces, just to be able to just spread that dialogue a little bit further, push the envelope, raise the bar, however you want to talk about it. But I, I do want to just reiterate, like let's think about ministry opportunities outside of the walls of our facility. Like we had a, a men's prayer breakfast a couple of Saturdays ago. We had an art night yesterday. And I think these are all great expressions. I, I loved that time getting together. But when I was at the park yesterday morning, thinking about the art night that would happen at 3 p.m. that same day, I thought to myself, like, what about art at the park? Like, like, what if we opened it up? I don't know, just use that as a form of outreach. Like, uh, like would that, like, create a sense of curiosity or excite anybody just to want to interface with the church in a way that they might not have previous? And it just, I was just asking questions. Just asking questions, right? And so, like, there were no definite answers, but asking healthy questions. Like, what if? Right? And I just began to explore some options for us. Because if this is the only space where we're trying to reach people, I think we're limiting our scope. Because if our ultimate intent is great commission, to reach people who have not heard of Jesus or who don't presently believe in Jesus, if that is our great scope, like long-term big picture, we're limiting that if we limit ministry resources, time, and activity within these walls. Because if you think about it, like, it's intimidating to come to a church if you're not a Christian. I mean, think about the first time you came to a church as a non-believer, right? Like, just try to recollect that time. It's intimidating, right? If you try to bring a non-Christian friend to this space, I mean, if there's like great trust and, and a good platform in that relationship, it, it mitigates that definitely, but it still does not take it away. There's intimidation to come into a church, right? I mean, I was thinking about it. Like, I was, I was rehearsing my prayers and my thoughts and my, my wishes for our church. Like, as a pastor, we, I, I want our church to grow. Like, as a pastor, I want our seats to fill up. And I'm always thinking, Lord, like, I, I want people to come from the streets into our seats. But God was changing that phrase for me. No, we need to take the people in the seats into the streets. It, it was a flip in that. Like, I was normally thinking, get people from the streets into the seats. And she's saying, no, 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 no. Get the people in the seats into the streets. Right? And I hope that that just sits in, in some way, shape, or form in your heart today. Because Christian evangelism must not be facility-centric. Why? Our mission is to reach the lost. The lost are hesitant to come into this space. And I believe this is incarnational. Like, what is the incarnation of Jesus Christ? It is a belief that God became man. 
And in that great incarnational passage, when it says that Jesus emptied himself and he lowered himself and he was brought into the form of a man, becoming a slave even, and giving his life as a ransom. The, the vertical imagery is lowering. He dwelt in heaven, perfection, had everything at his disposal, was in the form of God, but he emptied himself of that and he came down to man. And what it shows is, God comes and meets us where we are, not expecting us to go up to where He is. Do you get that first? Incarnation teaches us to meet people where they're at, not expect them to meet us where we're at. That's incarnational teaching, right? And so, if it's the reverse of incarnation, it's like, ah, hey guys, I'm up here in the throne. Come up to heaven, right? That's reverse. That's not it. But it's the mentality, wait a minute. They can't get up here. So I need to go down there, meeting people where they're at. And that's the heart and the value of the teaching that Jesus became man. And so you, you transpose that to church ministry. It's like, okay, Let's say here is that, okay? And instead of expecting people to come from the street to the church sanctuary, we must say, no, we go from the church sanctuary to the street. And you meet the person, the lost, where they're at. And it's the imagery of our passage in this parable. You leave 99 in the field and you chase after the one. Because left alone, that lost one will not find its way back in the imagery here of this parable. That lost one is not coming back here. So if you want to find it, you got to go there. you got to search for it. you got to go to where that lost one is at. Not like throw up the lights in the field and say, Hey, if you can see the light, come over here. Like that doesn't make any sense, right? Like is that a search party? Like you make the lights brighter so that they can find it? Like no, that's not how it works. If we ever lost anything, you get the flashlight out and you're trying to remember, backtrack, and go to every open crevice. Where could it have gone? And you're looking for that if that is important to you. Not expecting it to roll back to you, right? A coin, 10 coins, the next parable. One is lost. You're not expecting that lost one that rolled away somewhere to roll back to the jar where it was contained. It doesn't make sense that way. In the parable of the lost son, he was squandering all of his wealth in a foreign land and in frivolous living and he was drowning in guilt and in debt, hungry. And he, man, the last thing in his mind was trying to find his way. And the imagery continues that we need to go and chase after that one. Greater ministry opportunities are outside the walls of the church. Leaving the 99. The second thing that I'll say is this. The lost must be sought after. Like you need to seek the lost. Like... If, if one of two people is doing some action, the action is on this person, like to do something, 
right? Because you know, you know what I realized? <laughs> I was at the park on Tuesday playing my guitar for 30 minutes looking around. One person said hi as they were walking by and just continued on her way. And I had zero gospel conversations or interactions. Like that spontaneous random conversation of somebody coming up to you and asking questions about Jesus, that is the rare exception. The rare exception. That if we want to have gospel conversations, if we want to introduce people to Jesus, it is not because they're asking me about Him. It is because I am seeking that conversation. I am creating curiosity. I am initiating contact. Like the shepherd is leaving and chasing after, leaving and going after the one. The action is not on the lost one, it is on the shepherd seeking. And so I, I just want to like emphasize that. The lost must be sought after. Right? People were not jumping at the chance to speak to me about the gospel. It just didn't happen. Right? And so I began to think, like, what if I had a sign while I was playing the guitar? Like, ask me a question. Tell me a joke. Like, just right there, right? I'm sure the passerbyers, I would have caught at least one of them. <laughs> I'm sure of it, right? I'm sure at least one of the, the people walking by would have saw the sign. Knock, knock. <laughs> Right? I'm sure it would have happened, right? Like if I took one more step to say, how could I create conversation with the people that are now in my vicinity, and I did that, it changes the story a little bit. Okay. And so now it began to take my imagination elsewhere. And like as a church, if I'm thinking about ministry elsewhere, it's not just about saying, okay, church, just walk the streets, go on a prayer walk. That's not good enough not good enough. That's not great commission mindset. Prayer walk and leave it at that. It is not just about being available to my co-workers if they want to talk. While that's important, there needs to be initiation on the side of the Christian. Like if we have answers and we know where truth is, where life is at, where salvation is at, and if we are saved, and that there are lost people out there, I cannot wait for the lost one to ask me a question. I need to initiate. That's what I'm trying to say here. Because it won't happen on its own. And we have to remember, they're lost. Not without hope. Lost. Even lost people have hope. There's hope for finding the way, salvation. There's hope still. But we have to remember they're lost. The responsibility is on the person doing the rescuing. Not the one flailing or drowning. So, I, I don't know. Like, I hope that like, provokes some questions. 
And you just begin not to, 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 to criticize the past Christian ministry involvement or, or, or any of that, but just ask some fresh questions and say, okay, like if this is the parable, 99 in 1, and I think about ministry opportunities and I think about like where I exercise my faith, like where I sing songs, where I talk about Christian things, where I hear Christian things. If I think about where I do my Christian life, like where is the focal point of that, begin to like ask those questions. And then also begin like, I'm all about great Christian testimony. Like, I'm, I'm not the type of person that is like in your face evangelism. Like, you know, like you walk into the office and if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell. You know, you know, I've seen people with signs like that on the street corner and I am not about that. Like, I think that does more damage to the faith than help. Right? And so that is not the type of evangelism I'm talking about. But if my Christian evangelism is purely relegated to merely living a Christian testimony, I'm short-selling myself and I'm not living up to my potential. If all I'm doing is trying to live by Christian values and I hope it rubs off on my coworkers, um, like, it's not the full picture. I'm sorry. Like, it's not. All right? Like, to be a witness in a courtroom, it's not just by sitting in one of the seats behind. Like, if you're going to witness for somebody, it means getting on the stand, putting your hand on the Bible, and actually saying something under oath. Putting your name on the line. Like, vocalizing support. That's what it means to be a witness in a courtroom. Right? Not just like, hey, I got you. I'm right here. Yay, I hope you're innocent, right? That's not it, right? And so the Bible says, I'm a witness for Jesus. And so it's not like sitting in the back seat, hey, go Jesus, yeah, you got this, you got this. It's getting on the stand, putting my name there, and vocalizing my support. This guy's the way. This is what he did for me. This is what he could do for you. Like the Christian witness needs to go beyond just mere testimony and it needs to initiate and seek after conversation with the lost that is gospel oriented. And this is a challenge for me because that takes me out of my comfort zone. Like my comfort zone is this. <laughs> this is my comfort. This is where I've lived for 22 years, man. Like this is, I'm comfortable with this. Like you tell me to map out 52 sermons. I'll, I'll, I'll do that for you. I'll give you sermons for a year, right? You, you just email me and say, you know, I don't understand this passage. Can you explain it to me? I will give you an essay back. I promise you, right? If you've ever done that, you know, I'll do that for you, right? And so this is comfortable for me. But I realize the call that God has on my life, not just as a pastor, but as a Christian, is much more than that. And I also realize that He wants to lead our church in a greater way. And I hope that call translates to you as well. Like you begin to think about like what you're doing with money and time, where you're focusing mental energy. And I, and I hope that you begin to see it transfer from the safe 99 percentage and onto that lost one. And as I asked myself a lot of questions and, you know, preparing this, I realized that we'll possibly open some cans that we'll regret. 
Like, whoa, I didn't expect that ministry. Like, man, I, I realize, I, I get that. We're going to open some stuff that, like, I don't know if I was ready for that. And, like, I'm asking myself as a pastor, like, are we ready for this type of ministry? All right? And it's kind of like, you know, like, are you ever ready to have kids? <laughs> like, we've been married five years. Like, you know, we'll have kids when? Like, and you always, like, delay it for some reason. Like, you know, like, uh, I'll have kids when we buy a house. I'll have kids when we make this much money. I'll have, like, it's like, are we ever ready for the onslaught? It just never happens. And so, like, if we're always waiting, we'll do this type of ministry when? <laughs> I feel like that when will never come. I feel like it'll never come. And so I, I can't let fear dictate right now. Like, what if we open something we're just not ready for? Like, we're going to scare people off. I don't know if that's possible. But I think it's worth the risk, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Right? And so, I'm not saying, like, 100% of our energy is now going to go towards ministry. Church at the park every week. <laughs> like, that's not what I'm saying either. I want to have 11 o'clock service here. Right? But I, I just want to shift the vision. I, I want to shift... The energy, because this is an indictment against me as a pastor. If we were to look at the books and see where our money goes, I'll tell you, it's similar to the parable. 99% in-house is what I will say. Like, I think that's normal. So I think we need something abnormal. I think we need to think of church strangely, okay? Let's have strange church. Like, let's do it different to what typical American Christianity looks like. Growing from what it is to this mega church. Let's think mini. Let's not think outside to in, but what's inside. Let's get them out to the street and figure out what we can do out there. And that's just the shift in focus that I hope to create for us. The curiosity that I want to stimulate and the conversation I want to have. I, I'm going to end. Praise team, you guys come back. Um, I, I got one point for you, really. And it starts with this, number one. It just starts with love Christ. That's great commandment, right? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love God with everything. Like all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That's it. Love Him with everything. But then He didn't stop in that great commandment. And He says, wait, there's a second one. Very, very inextricably tied to the first. And it goes like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to describe these in these terms. And I want to say, love Christ. And start with a lost neighbor. I could have said just neighbor and not included the word lost. But I think it does injustice to the commandment. Because if you read the commandment, not just in Matthew chapter 22, but you read it in Luke chapter 10. That same great commandment, when Jesus was responding, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself, there was a response to that. They asked, who's my neighbor? And then he gave another parable. There was a man going to Jericho. He got jumped, beaten, beaten to within an inch of his life, and left for dead. 
And there were some religious folks walking along that same road. They saw the guy and said, whoa, that's too much work. I got stuff to do at the temple. I got a message to preach. And they passed by. And there was this strange occurrence. There was a person of a completely different ethnicity. Someone who you would not blame for walking on the other side. But this guy did something different. He saw that broken, lost person, almost dead. And he put himself on the line. He had an animal. He got off of it and put him on it. He had some money. Took him to an inn. Bandaged him up. And then he went into debt. And he said to the innkeeper, if he needs to stay any longer or he needs anything else, put it on my tab. Like, it's not just neighbor. Like, it's not just like clean, sanitary neighbor. <laughs> like, ah, in the desk next to me. Right? It's not just that. That's not what Jesus means by love your neighbor as yourself. Because the parable of that person who was beaten on that road to Jericho tells us that. That's the parable of the Good Samaritan that we know. Right? And so we need to qualify what neighbor means. And I think the best way to do that is to go along the theme and the imagery of what I'm trying to convey in this message and say we need to start with a lost neighbor. That lost sheep. The one in the fangs of death. The one who is wandering and completely in fear of losing everything. The one that is rattled to the core. The one that has lost his family or career. The one that is cursing God because he left him. Like that one. The hard work one. Like when you have a choice of assignment, we gravitate to the easy assignment. And I'm saying take the hard one is what I'm saying. Like take the lost one. Because if you think about 99 and 1, this is the easy assignment. This is the assignment that I've taken for two decades. And God is prompting me, take the other one, the messy one. <laughs> and I think it starts here. Like if I want to say that I love you, Jesus, I think it starts with me having a heart for the lost. I think it's clear in our parable. I think it's clear throughout the Gospels. And if we were to sit with the Holy Spirit on any prayer occasion, I think that truth will come through. I want to finish off before we sing that reckless love song. I wrote a, a note to myself on December 7th, 2012. Nearly six years ago. It was pre-launch of City Chapel. And I was just sitting in prayer one day and I was hurt at this season in life. I was really hurt from what was swirling around me in that tail end of 2012. With a lot of tears, some regret, but yet still optimism and hope, I sat in prayer and I began in a sense to prophesy over myself. And I wrote this as if God was speaking to me. Because I just opened myself up, God, I need you to say something to me. And in that moment, I just began to write a prayer as if God was saying it to me. And I just wanted to finish by reading that. To my son Robert, 
don't worry about what's happening in your life because I'm not. I'm not struggling to accomplish my plans for you. I'm not playing it by ear or fixing things on the fly. I'm intentional. I'm focused on you. I see and I know. I've made things the way they are because that's the way I want them. My idea of perfect and desirable is much different than yours. I make dark spots and create lack to teach you the true value of bright spots and abundance. Colors, hues, saturations are powerful because of contrast. Red is vivid because brown is not. Orange is, seems obnoxious because blue is not. Even lifeless gray shows glimpses of life when it sits next to a less energetic form of itself. So don't worry about the road ahead. It's all in my plan for you. And that individual plan is also part of a larger community plan, which in turn is part of my national, global, and historical plan. I am infinite. You are not. Don't be confused or try to reverse things. Have the desire to want to do my will and weave things and I'll weave things together even when that desire is imperfect. The church plant is what I want for you and your community. Don't complicate things. Keep church simple. Desire my glory. Love me and your neighbor. Be the light where I place you. You won't be able to do everything, but you can do something. One thing done well is better than three things done half-heartedly. I'll show you the place where I want you to start a church. I've already given you the name, City Chapel, and a basic essence. When it settles down where I want it, make a difference where you are. The, sh the city should be different because you're there. There should be less homeless people on the streets, less crime, more sacrificial modeling of love, and more people worshiping me because the church is there. And don't do everything by yourself. Hold hands with other people in groups I've placed around you. Do this faithfully. And prepare the church to plant more churches in neighboring cities, counties, countries, and continents. Be a church planting church. I believe in the local church. And so should you. Now about you. Be faithful in your separated time with me. I'm the one who is guiding you. Listen to my voice. Feel my heart. Move in my ways. There is no secret to success in spiritual living. I've made it abundantly clear. Seek me first. Want my righteousness to be displayed. Desire my kingdom to expand. If you do this, I'll honor the desires of your heart and give you the things you need. I'll grow your heart, your church, and your family, but on my terms. Lastly, I love you. I love every part of you. That's why I made you that way. When you fall, and yes, you will, get back up. 
I don't expect you to be perfect. Just make progress. From your Heavenly Father, Abba, December 7th, 2012. so glad I, I, I spent that time in prayer five and a half years ago because picking that up just recently I really feel like I didn't write it like it was exactly what God was saying to me this past week seemed fresh so uh, yeah uh, I just hope to, to spark a spirit of outreach and evangelism in me in you in our church and as clean or as, as messy as that's going to look let's just not be afraid of it like let's let's see like let's see where where this goes cautious excitement great and as we sing this song to end i hope it speaks to you i, I like the title reckless love because that word reckless, if you put it next to anything else, like it seems wrong, like it's bad, right? Like I'm a reckless driver, <laughs> you know, uh, spend recklessly. Yes, you know, um, raise your children recklessly, do your job recklessly, you know, <laughs> be a reckless employee, <laughs> you'll get fired. <laughs> so like you put that word next to any other action, it seems exactly that, reckless. But somehow, when you put it next to the word love, like it takes on a different persona. Like suddenly the criminal became a saint, right? Like if the word reckless was a criminal, it's like, wow, you are now like redeemed, right? There's something good about you when you put it next to love because it makes sense then. Love your spouse recklessly. Love your children recklessly. Love your mission recklessly. Like love was meant to be reckless. Like it's, there's something right about that. Where you don't hold back. Where you realize this doesn't make sense to leave the 99 and to chase after a lost one that I have no guarantee to find. <laughs> like there's no guarantee you find it. And in so doing, you risk losing the 99. Like I could be left after I do this I could be left with zero sheep. <laughs> like, wasn't I better off, like, keeping the 99 safe? At least I had a guarantee there. Like, this is, like, completely reckless. What if the sheep come? What if the wolf comes and, like, gobbles up this? But there is something right about that. There is something right about leaving 99 safe sheep 
and chasing after one lost. Let's see what that looks like for us as a child of God and for us as a church. Amen. 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 Let's sing this song together.